So with all of the material available to us on what is Palm Sunday, it's quite often hard to know where to start. And also conscious not just to reiterate the historical moment. A lot of churches across the land will be reiterating the historical moment. We've done that on a number of occasions here and it's good to do that. But it's important for us to try and draw something fresh out of the moment if we can. Not to add to the word, not to change the word, not to uh, misinterpret the word. But, uh, but where do you begin when you've got all this material? Matthew 21 to 26, Marth, uh, Mark 10 to 14, Luke 18 to 22, John 12 to 18. These are the verses and the chapters that we could draw on this morning. You'll be thankful that we're not going to do all of them uh, or even many of them. But in thinking about this morning, I wanted to build on last week's focus, which was that dynamic of the, the three dynamics of God's love. And what we see in this moment in Palm Sunday and in Jesus walking into Jerusalem or journeying to Jerusalem and riding into Jerusalem is the love of God in action. What were the three dynamics? That was God is love. God does love and God will love. God is love, that is his character, and because of his character being love, the whole world gets to benefit in the riches of God's love, including potential redemption and restoration. The potential is there for everyone to be restored and redeemed, irrespective of your history, irrespective of even what you did this morning in our community, in our orchard, let's try to keep on communicating that way, in our orchard that is open, irrespective of where people have been in their past or where they are this morning, there is scope for them to be redeemed because of the love of God. So God is love and God does love. Then there's God will love. There is a, a personal love that comes through Christ and only through Christ and only through being in union with Christ. So let's look at this morning. This title for this morning, uh, there are so many titles that, I, that, that I'll just give one. Um, the idea of intentionally, willfully, and joyfully walking towards the moment of suffering. Intentionally, willfully, and joyfully walking towards the moment of, of suffering. I was struck as I was reading through these chapters again that are so familiar to us, aren't they? Because it's the Gospels. So familiar. But how much of a contrast what Jesus does in this Palm Sunday moment, in this moment, compared to what I would have done. When I say these words, intentionally, willfully, joyfully walking towards a moment of suffering. And I compare it to myself. 
Who's ever got a fright and had an involuntary spasm of a reaction that you were not in control of, but probably including a high-pitched squeal that you only realize is happening as it's happening and you can't take it back? Come on, don't be shy. <laughs> no, never. Praise God, if you haven't been through that, maybe you haven't had the context to, to do that. For me, it'd be like a, a balloon popping or something. But thanks, love. She knows. Intentfully, willfully, joyfully walking towards a moment of suffering. What are you like when you anticipate something stressful ahead? Let's even not think about a, a short, sharp shock, but, but you can see something down the road. What are you like when you can anticipate suffering? or stress? Where is your focus? Are you steely-eyed and resolute? Give me your best steely-eyed face. Steely-eyed and resolute. Nice, Stuart. Man, there's an acting career in there, Stuart. Steely-eyed and resolute. Um, is that who you are? Or do you waver and wobble? Are you anxious and full of concern? And quite often in those moments, are we full of concern for self? Does our self-preservation kick in, which is a very human natural thing. I know where I would be, and it's not to my credit, but perhaps not unlike most of us. What strikes me when we look at what we're going to look at this morning, uh, in this moment, is that Jesus understands, and I love this, he understands how to be real. And this is something that churches, and we come out of a prosperity church years ago, churches that are in that vein need to, I think, mature in sometimes. We all need to mature in it. But how to be real. There's no pretense with Jesus. There never was. But in this moment, there's no pretense as he comes into Jerusalem. There's no bravado. No bravado. No sugar coating of the realities to come as he walks into the fire, might we say, that, that testing moment. No bravado. No self-pity. There's a struggle in the garden. We don't deny that. That's him being real. But that struggle is, uh, is, is multi-layered. But no small measure of joy and hope and rejoicing in what is beyond the, the moment of trial. It's like, and this is how I can best frame it, it's like in this moment Jesus wants to convey to everybody the fullest picture of what is really going on. So that those that are truly listening, and that includes you and I today, because we have this moment recorded for us. We can go out into the orchard, we can go up to the apple trees, look at specific apples and read them this moment. And for people that are truly listening, Jesus wants to convey the fullest picture, if they will hear and understand. Again, it's that Revelation Church's dynamic, isn't it? What does he say to the Revelation churches? He encourages them, all who have ears to hear, hear. I think this is a moment for us as well and for all. He conveys the rough and the smooth, the sorrow and the joy, the evidence of seemingly dominant darkness. Now, as we go through this next week and as we mark it, if you do mark it, and I encourage you, if you can, to mark it in your own way, the different points of this next week before we get to Easter Sunday. The seemingly dominant darkness, but he reveals the victory that comes in the light. And I love that. 
It's incredible recorded history, and, and as we say, we can, it can transform us, everybody. It's transformed countless generations. So three short focuses um, in the next 10 minutes or so before we get to communion. Everyone say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give Stuart the ability. Um, so, and they are revealed, we could argue, most poignantly, I think, from this moment in, in the scriptures, from this short but significant moment. And of course, it's three points because, you know, Stuart, you know what it's like. You have to keep it at three. Did four one week and I got a look. Ooh, I got a look. No, just joking. Um, so the three points are he knew, if you write to write down notes, just to keep yourself uh, focused, he knew he must and he will. So again, building on last week, he knew he must and he will. What does that refer to? Well, he knew there was that element of foreknowledge in all of it. He must, again, last week's thrust, he goes to the cross and lays down his life because he must, because that is the way to redemption. There's no other name under heaven by which men could be saved. Men, human, men and women, but by Christ, no other name. So he must, it was necessary, and then he will, the obedience to do it, which I just find incredible so he knew he must uh, and he will so he knew he knew what was coming it's an unfortunate uh, idea that has gained a bit of traction um and there's a degree of truth in it but i don't think it's the full truth so but it's this idea that god's awareness of the future is somehow limited so if you've heard this it's been doing the rounds a bit with certain teachers that are kind of on the on the fringes anyway this idea that god's god's focus in the future is limited he cannot see all things he doesn't know what's coming but he knows all potentials of what might happen and therefore he's just permanently constantly knitting together the best outcome to see what happens and and i think that the word of god would push against that it's the idea that god has contingencies upon contingencies for what we might do that god doesn't really know what is ahead but rather he can calculate every possibility in real time and then work it out the way he wants it now that might sound like a pretty plausible idea because i believe that we have free will i believe that we can determine our own paths we can choose right now whether we praise god or not right now you can say i'm going to raise my hand to the lord or I'm going to stuff my hand in my pocket and concentrate on the football or other sports are available. You have free will. But I think that that is missing the mark. And I think this little portion of God's word shows us that actually God is beyond that. If we can put Mark 10 up. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks so much. Mark 10 verses 33 and 34. If you've got a Bible, turn to Mark. We're going to be there for a brief second. Mark 10, 33 and 34. In fact, let's go back to, I think we had 32 up there as well, didn't I? Yeah, that's fine. So there, uh, they, this is Jesus and his disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished. I bet they were astonished a lot of the time. They were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. There was something in the air. Taking the 12 aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. You can get this in Luke 18, and there'll be, there'll be shadows of it elsewhere as well as the Gospels marry up together. What I, strikes me about this is that this, is, this whole unfolding is already established in Jesus' mind. And it's the details that strike me, that, that we could focus on the celebration of Palm Sunday as he comes into Jerusalem, but I want us to get the undercurrent of the fact that before he does that, he has all of this in his mind. The intentional, willful, joyful walking towards a moment of, of suffering. Not just the potentials of what might happen. So not just he's like, because he is fully God as well as fully man. Not just, well, I know that these are people and they could do this, this, and this. And God, God the Father is going to work it out and make something of it. No, look how specific he is. He's going to be handed over to his faith family. Now, there's, we could stop there and preach on that, about how we treat each other in the faith family. And that, that reminder for us to love and honor each other. Because what happens in this moment, he's handed over to his faith family. What do they do? Well, the next thing that comes after that is that he is condemned to death. What kind of faith family is that? Incredible. There's a detail. He said in the word, he will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. What happens next? In the reality, he gets handed over to the Gentiles. The Romans will then crucify him. Before they crucify him, they will mock him. He gets mocked. We know that he gets mocked. The word tells us that. He gets spat upon. He gets flogged, and then he gets killed. So, incredible. The details. And then this little, which I love, simple throwaway statement. What does he say? Several details that you would not want to wish on your worst enemy. And then he says, and he will rise after three days. Just a little bit at the end there, but shows that he sees the fullest picture and he wants to convey the fullest picture. He isn't going to dance around the struggle, but he's going to make sure that they know that there's something beyond the struggle, which I love. We know that word for the joy, Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he knew what was coming. So he knew what was coming and he walked intentionally, willfully, joyfully into this moment. So he knew it was coming. None of this nonsense as well. Um, I've struggled with this uh, and come to a point. This idea, and Brian Zand is one teacher who has promoted this uh, relentlessly, uh, and I would urge caution uh, with this individual. This idea that the father is punishing the son what I would argue is actually, no, Jesus is willfully and willingly going to this moment. Not that somehow he's taken by surprise and that God just wants to beat his son out of aggression. They've called it, Brian Zand, I think, is one who's, who's termed it cosmic child abuse. And I want to push back against that because it's such an unhealthy, what it's doing is fracturing the father and son and saying that they're not one. 
What it's doing is saying Jesus didn't willfully, intentionally, joyfully go to the cross. So he knew it was coming and he knew it had to be done. Does he do it? Yes. Why? Because he knew he must. Let's go to John chapter 12 as we, as we close our time uh, in this together. John chapter 12. I think we've got that Daniel on the screen as well. There we go. Thank you. We're going to read um, verses 23 to 20, 27, I think. But we'll look at 23 and 24 first. He knew he must. Let me read this. John chapter 12, verses 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He must do this. And he understands in advance of it that he must do this. Why? He's going to go back and he is fully God. Is that enough for him? No, that's why he came. Because he wanted to convey the redemption to each one of us. So there's the fruitfulness dynamic. Father, give us an apple. When we look, when we look at these words, unless the, the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Father, give us an apple. You don't get an apple from wheat, do you? I don't think so. But you know what I mean. As the propitiation for our sins, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, the idea of making atonement for, again, people are pushing back today against this idea that it was atonement, in, in that he had to do it to make atonement for my sin, but the word of God is clear that that's what it is, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have its everlasting eternal life. John chapter 3, let's not ever, ever underplay that part of it. Everyone who believes in him, anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned. That was last week's focus from John chapter 3. He's walking into Jerusalem to the celebration and the hubbub of the people who are delighted to see him, but within a few days are going to wash their hands of him. Struck me in the word, why were they happy to see him? Because he was a celebrity in their mind. He was, a, he was the one who was doing all the cool stuff. Let's get near him. I don't doubt that there was a degree of hope in the people as well, that could this be the one? But that hope was pretty shallow because the people are dispersed, aren't they, when things get difficult. So he must. For everyone who did receive him, John chapter 1, he gave them the right to be called children of God. So the people, the apples in the orchard that have received Christ are called children of God. So he walks into Jerusalem because, or he rides in, because he knew that he must. And not just that he must, but that he willingly does it. He willingly does it. He walks past the crowds who are celebrating him knowing that it's a shallow welcome as beautiful as it must have been in the moment the evidence of the welcome plays out in the week in the days to come he knew he must and he will how do you feel when something difficult is on the horizon how do you feel well i think this morning we can give thanks to god for Jesus as we break bread together. Um, 
If we can put up that image again, the image of Jesus round the table with his friends. Thanks, Daniel. We're walking into Jerusalem and into this moment. And we touched on this last time we broke bread together and that was that he had the presence of mind to teach knowing what was about to come. And I just think that when we think, why is he worthy of worship? He's worthy of worship because he willingly, intentionally and joyfully walked into this moment.